0: This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora. good evening. Now security agencies foiled two potential mass shootings around the time of the Christchurch terrorist attack. This was highlighted today at a government hui looking at ways to improve the
1: country's counter-terrorism efforts. That was Simon Dallow introducing TVNZ One News last Tuesday and kicking it off with that revelation of previously unreported potential mass shootings in Christchurch back in 2019, which thankfully never happened. All this emerged from a hui called Hefenua Todikura, which was recommended by the Royal Commission of Inquiry into the terrorist attack. Hefenua Todikura means a country at peace, but that hui created some rancour of its own, as we'll hear in a minute. And it also addressed the roles and responsibilities of our news media, which we'll also hear about shortly as well. It was during a panel discussion at the Hui last Tuesday that Police National Security Advisor Cameron Bailey revealed that the public had played a key role in shutting down those two potential attacks back in 2019. Security Intelligence Minister Andrew Little said later that information from the public remained their best tool to prevent attacks in the future too. But Susie Ferguson didn't sound convinced by that on RNZ's morning report. These were both foiled by the public and not... By security forces, which does somewhat beg the question, what are the spies doing? Um, I think that's a silly proposition to make. Actually, you don't foil anything without uh, the state security apparatus. But by the time that interview had aired at 8.30 on Tuesday morning, it was something else that was said on stage at the He Todi Kura Hui the day before, which had pushed those foiled attacks from 2019 down the bulletins.
0: A Jewish Council spokesperson has been accused of a calculated attempt to denigrate Muslims at a counter-terrorism hui in Christchurch yesterday. At least a dozen participants left a panel discussion in response to comments made on the Israel-Palestine conflict by Juliet Moses.
1: Now Oddly, that story emerged in RNZ's news only at 3am on Wednesday, more than half a day after the actual comments from the spokesperson for the New Zealand Jewish Council. But that, and the reactions to it, led RNZ's bulletins all morning from then on Though the previous evening, it led One News as well. Tonight on One News, anger from members of the Christchurch Muslim community who have stormed out of a high-powered hui on terrorism. What they're upset about, plus details of foiled attacks. The hammer's in full swing. As, as it happened, TVNZ News Christchurch reporter Thomas Mead and his camera operator witnessed the walkout and captured the strength of feeling. The imam of Al-Noor Mosque...
2: Yeah, this is racism
0: again, it's us. ...walking out in protest... Members of his community attending a counter terrorism conference left hurt. We will only go
2: in if she's out.
1: And furious. And the anger that aroused was amplified by the fact that no victims or witnesses of the March 15 mosque atrocities were among the speakers alongside Juliet
2: Moses. I think uh, Christchurch. Uh, Muslims are ignored in this uh, uh, conference. Nobody's talking from uh, our community
1: or the local community. And hard on the heels of the startling news that a Hollywood studio wants to tell the Christchurch Mosque massacre story to the world, without much advanced consultation with victims or Muslim leaders in the city, this was probably a problem waiting to happen. However, it didn't derail Hefenua Kora's second day on Wednesday when the Islamic Women's Council of New Zealand leader Anjum Rahman gave an eye opening talk on online extremism. She's also an advisor to the Christchurch Call and the Global Internet Forum for Countering Terrorism. Anjum Rahman showed how social media's hyperactive algorithms still spread the sorts of stuff that extremists latch onto.
2: The, the news feed, the searches, and also ads. Um, and so, what a lot of People in civil society have been asking for is audits of these algorithms. And there is not audit of the code, but audit of the outcomes of these algorithms. Because again, there's a lot of research to show that algorithms are causing radicalisation.
1: And coincidentally, Ajum Rahman's call to staunch the spread of harmful or illegal content online was echoed last week by the Minister of Internal Affairs, Jan Tinetti, who announced a big review of how we regulate all media, whether on a website, on Facebook, on demand, printed in a newspaper or aired on TV or radio. The goal is to better protect us all from harm, said the minister, but that can be a fine judgement, and refreshing media regulation will be full of fishhooks and fights over freedom of expression. We'll also take a good look at that here on Media Watch soon. But having highlighted how extremism still proliferates on social media, and quite profitably sometimes, leaders from our mainstream media also faced questions at the Hefenua Whenua Hui last Tuesday. Stuff's Sinead Boucher, for example, admitted to the gathering that news media coverage of ethnic issues and communities is often still only surface deep and through a European lens. But she insisted that our news media have a social conscience that social media don't.
2: And I can think of a handful of examples in the last few years where media have had to not publish information um, because of the risk that that could bring to someone's safety.
1: Also on the panel was Mariana Alexander, the head of premium content at the New Zealand Herald, who is also the current chair of the Media Freedom Committee, which represents the mutual interests of our news media. And she told the Hui this.
0: But not always would, would everyone in this room even agree, for example, what that definition of public interest is. And, and so we are often being asked to not report something because, uh, because a certain group doesn't believe it's in the public interest. But, but we are fiercely protective of that right, but we also acknowledge that with those rights does carry responsibilities.
1: And case in point was the reporting of Brenton Tarrant's crimes back in 2019. Stuff didn't publish his name for quite a while and only minimal details of his background and apparent beliefs. But The Herald published a lot more about him back in March 2019. However, all mainstream news media agreed on protocols for reporting his trial and stuck to guidelines designed to ensure that he couldn't grandstand or promote his beliefs via the media. Mariana Alexander told the Hefenua Todikurahui that was simply the right thing to do.
0: I've never seen that happen before in my time in media, and I think it is um, a great credit to all of the organisations involved. We don't often operate together in such a way, but I think it was a very powerful thing to do, and I think it really laid a strong foundation for the ongoing um, coverage and relationships associated um, with the trial.
1: RNZ's head of news Richard Sutherland then told the event that individual news organisations would have followed the same principles anyway without any kind of binding pact in place. But at the time, some free speech and media freedom advocates were alarmed, as they were when the ISPs clubbed together to take down websites, hosting any of Brent and Terence online manifesto material. Mariana Alexander also said the media had been meeting twice a year with the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, which incidentally organised this week's hui, with an eye to the future.
0: There's some protocols have been drafted and we're continuing to work together to work through those, but I think, again, I'm not aware of that happening in any other jurisdictions. Again, an illustration of the media's desire to be a responsible member of our community, so that's really encouraging, and, and, and I think that that will just allow ongoing relationships to continue to develop and trust to happen, And and I think in future there'll just be various ongoing commitments to those kinds of arrangements as appropriate, which I think is really important.
1: Providing a Muslim community perspective on this panel was Kairia Rahman, a senior lecturer at the School of Communication Studies at the Auckland University of Technology. She's analysed representations of Islam and Muslims in New Zealand media back in 2017 for a special study, and in March 2019, she told MediaWatch she'd found it lacking in several ways. For example, 13,000 of just over 14,000 stories in the New Zealand media, which included the word Islam, also mentioned either terrorism or Islamic jihad. And most of those stories were from overseas sources. Her paper concluded there appears to be a growing, misconceived hatred for a faith supported by 1.5 billion people in the world's population. This destructive trend is promoted by the media, consciously or not. And last Tuesday in Christchurch, she gave this example.
2: Jihadi brights, there was no follow-up. Uh, it's fake news, really. Uh, you know, and you can we know that for a fact. So that's one. Now the other one is if you know visuals, when you look at visuals used that accompany some of the articles um, here in New Zealand, and this was before the Christchurch attacks happened, um picture of a man in a white robe, with a turban, in a neighborhood street, with a child next to him, in a bicycle, and it looks like it could be your Muslim neighbor, and it says firebrand preacher or a man of peace, in caps and bold. So you you can't help but wonder, what was the purpose of that?
1: But Kairi Araman also told the Hefenua Tote Kora Hui that New Zealand media now lead the world in their efforts to report responsibly after March the fifteenth, twenty nineteen. And she left the HUI with this message.
2: Listen and respond. Do not write narratives about us without us. Do not talk over us nor for us
1: after the Hefenowa Torekura Hui wrapped up last Wednesday, I asked Kairaia Raman had that media session been worthwhile in her mind and should it be a feature of what's expected to now be an annual event?
2: Well, I think it was necessary to have the media panel there. Um, I know there was some talk about I was the only representative of a non-dominant culture. I know that there was some talk about that, but I do feel rather strongly that the media needed to have a presence there so that they can not just explain themselves, because my research had to do with how the New Zealand media treated Muslims before the Christchurch um, attacks took place. And it was largely negative. Uh, But if you notice, in the Royal Commission's report, there was no mention of the media being responsible. So it was rather interesting that the media was present at the hui. I myself made a submission to the Royal Commission's inquiry, pointing out that the media was, to a large extent, responsible for perpetuating negative stereotypes um, and ideas. You know, and largely from international news media. You know, so sometimes you run a story because it's out there in international media, and this sort of thing was happening for quite a while. I think that's a start to have the sort of admission. You know, that we're aware there's this sort of bias.
1: You referred to your own research uh, that when we talked about it on this program back in 2019, finding, you know, 13,000 out of uh, just over 14,000 stories in New Zealand media that referred to Islam, also referred to terrorism or to Islamic jihad. And the point was made, uh, I think, by the Herald's Mariana Alexander. Look, a lot of these stories will be sourced from overseas, but from You know, reputable bona fide media companies, you know, their their media partners like Washington Post or um, UK news outlets or news agencies, a lot of time, of course, they're covering news. So it will be uh, about, you know, violent episodes or or things that have been making headlines internationally. So in that sense, if the media is taking things from what are regarded as reputable sources here and running them for interested readers of world affairs, they're only reflecting what international news diets all over the world are, are presenting to readers.
2: Uh, that's a very interesting take, Colin, because as, as we well know, military propaganda also are told by these reputable news organizations. And uh, this idea of using Islamic terms like jihad and jihadi, and you know, there was this story that ran on jihadi brides, uh, and that's not from Western media, that's from New Zealand media, which was completely untrue. I think New Zealand media has a responsibility because they're breaking away from the uh, traditional pick up any stories and run with it. Uh, And and this is what we need for a socially inclusive and uh, to build social cohesion and, and to have a more harmonious society. You need to listen to the voices of people in your community because those stories do not represent the people who live in New Zealand. So I think that's a rather important point to take note of.
1: At the event, you gave a couple of examples. You referred to the reporting of the so-called jihadi brides issue. You know, it turned out that things that John Key said as prime minister referring to this were not accurate. It involved people who were actually uh, living and traveling from Australia and so on. So I can understand um, that there would be anger over stories like this. Um, However, you also referred to another um, story when you talked about the danger of of visuals being used in a, a story had a photograph uh, and, and a caption, you know, firebrand or man of peace. And we heard you speaking about that. However, you know, this story, when I looked at it, it's by two very senior journalists, investigative reporters in New Zealand. It's not a random image, is it? It's, um, it's Sheikh Abu Abdullah, uh, also known as Abu Hamam, um, who was living and working in Auckland. And he'd been a very controversial figure. So in that sense, they were trying to report on an issue of public interest. And, uh, you know, the image was just him in the suburban neighborhood where he lived.
2: Yeah, but having that particular caption, he was not interviewed, was he? There was nothing from him, uh, you know, a story about him, but there was nothing from him. Um, and how, how is that fair? Firebrand preacher or men of peace? Because you've got, uh, I think there was uh, some quotes by sort of different people, but, there, but he was not represented. He himself didn't say a word. Uh, so how is that balance reporting?
1: Yes, they spoke to some of his followers, uh, indeed, uh, about him. Uh, I guess he didn't uh, wish to speak, but, uh, you know, he was willing to be photographed. It's it's difficult, because in a sense, you know, here are the journalists reporting on a controversial figure. I understand that caption could be irritating, Firebrand or Man of Peace, you know, as if to say, look, uh, people who look like this man in the photograph, must they be one or the other, you know? But, you know, they're doing their best to get to a difficult story about someone who does live here in Auckland. They talk to a, a range of people, in the story. So there's some contextual matter in the story of the sort that you said was often lacking.
2: I don't think it's that hard, really. Because if you understand the people that you're reporting on, and the marginalised position that they come from, it's not that difficult. You know, if you look at Five ran or Men of Peace, it's in caps. Is there a reason for it to be in caps?
1: But in a way, it feels Um, like just selecting one element of the story. There are people from Auckland's Islamic communities referred to, interviewed. It seems to me like this is one where the reporters have really gone the extra mile to talk to people in those communities compared to these stories that you cited, which are often just picked up and run from overseas.
2: Can I just say I disagree? Because if you were to run that story past the Muslim community, there'll be some things they'll point out to you you know, uh, where somebody talks about jihad and jihad doesn't always mean such and such. and But you find that the voices are diminished because right at the end, there was this list of people that gone through Australia and joined ISIS and alleged there was, you know, his family alleged that he was like brainwashed in a Christchurch mosque, something along those lines, I seem to recall. I mean, it ended with that. It didn't end with someone saying that, uh, it's just a rival faction thing. The man is terribly misunderstood. It didn't end with that, you know. So if you're looking at a story and you have a a, a good introduction, but the finale is quite horrible, you go away feeling a certain sort of way. Um, and that's the whole point about a narrative. You know, you'll go away thinking, horrible, these Muslim people, you know.
1: When you addressed uh, the Hui on Tuesday, uh, you said you spoke of the, the media having this role as a, a cultural intermediary. That may not be uh, automatic to news media who think of themselves as the eyes and ears of the public, trying to work out what the public interest is. What do you mean when you say the media uh, should see themselves and play a role as a, a cultural intermediary?
2: At the end of the day, you know, you get your stories by your sources, right? And your sources come from different Uh, community groups. So by that I mean we are treading some middle ground culturally. But the differences are more pronounced when we engage with someone from a a different country or a different geographical location within the same country even, you know, like the Uyghurs in China, where differences may lie in the socio cultural, religious background. So I mean it's clear from my research that the media and the government have a primary role to play in setting the scene for respectful engagement. When you're doing your interviews, when you're trying to get feedback from the ground.
1: And the Hefenwa Torikura Hui The expectation now is that it will become, if not an annual, at least a a regular event. So do you think that the next time and the next time there should be a similar opportunity for people to hear from editorial leaders in New Zealand media organisations and and question them in the way that it was done uh, last Tuesday and Wednesday? Or do you think uh, if if it should be part of the programme, it should be done differently?
2: I think there should be follow-ups on recommendations by... All of the panels, including my panel, ideally next year, uh, we'd like the media to then follow up on some of the recommendations that would be ideal. Uh, Can I just say I was also contacted by uh, Facebook for our region. It would be interesting to find out what what they have planned. Uh, Social media uh, news, they, they were present, the social media platforms, they were present, but they were talking more about terrorism and hate rhetoric and how they were handling that shutting down and checking on that sort of talk on social media um yeah so definitely so that's that's a, a kind of a separate panel um but look it, it's not about it's not about blame you know it's about what what can we do going forward how can we show to the affected community that we hear you and anything that we report, it's, it's not about silo mentality or telling a story only one way, because that's not what the media is about anyway. You know, it's about fair representation. It's about being accurate. So if you do have someone, a particular faith, uh, and attributed the terror act to the faith, that's something that you can report on in terms of a faith-based terror act. But that does not represent the you know, entire community who practice that particular faith.
1: That was Kaira Rahman, her senior lecturer at the School of Communication Studies at the Auckland University of Technology.